good morning, Momentum. If I get y'all to stand to your feet for me real quick, we just sat down. Do 10 burpees and then stand up. Debbie loves me right now. Everybody else hates me. We're going to read out of Isaiah just to get this started real quick. I was on my way in this morning, man, and God just, man, he laid this on my heart. Um, uh, For some of y'all, y'all have heard this before. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Man, like God just, God laid that on my heart this morning. Y'all can have a seat. God laid that on my heart this morning, man, because, you know, all throughout this week, I've been preparing for for this message. And let me tell you something, raw, I... Like, I've never, I, I never had the chance to preach multiple services, you know, like back to back to back to back to back, multiple series or, or for a whole series. Man, I have a whole new appreciation for what Ross does. Can somebody give our, our pastor a round of applause? Man, because I've only been doing this for three weeks and I'm like, oh God, I need a miracle this week. <laughs> oh man, it, it. You know, anytime that you get the opportunity to do something that somebody else does, it gives you a whole new level of appreciation. You know, I've always loved Pastor Ross, but certainly this series has given me a whole new appreciation. And and this is his last uh, last Sunday on vacation. He is here, but technically he is on vacation. He will not pray for you. (laughs) That was funny. Why, that just happened. (laughs) Anyway, um, all right, so show of hands. Anybody in here ever have a hamster? All right, completely different topic. Anybody have a hamster? I had a hamster for three weeks. Well, my, kids, my kids wanted a hamster, and it died this week. Oh, that's right. I felt I genuinely was sad whenever that darn hamster died. I, I was like, why the heck am I sad? It's a stupid hamster, but I was sad. And I had to tell my kids this week. Um, that their hamster died. And I lied to them about how it died. Um, That's not important, but um, I did. I lied to them, but I was trying to let them down easy. And they all cried, right? And that's sad. They all cried. And Malachi, though, he's my youngest. He's three. And man, he cried for all of like 45 seconds. I was like, man, he's taking this pretty rough. But then he stops. And he's like, you know, mom, I think a dog would last longer. True story. Then he turns to me and he's like, but dad, if we have to get another hamster, can we get three? Because if one dies, we'll still have two more. Like he was emotional for all of like 45 seconds. And then he immediately went logical and was like, I can figure this out. So I don't have to feel this way again. That, and, and, you know, what's funny is, like, emotion and logic, they don't go hand in hand, right? And, um, you know, for those of you in business, you know this. Uh, the most successful managers out there, right, they, they're able to separate out the emotion from the logic. Um, and, and that's just, that's part of business. So you look at them and you say that they're heartless, right? But they look at themselves and they're like, I'm trying to protect the team. 
Okay, and you know, in, in business, I learned this because before I was here, I was uh, managing a sales team with uh, uh, a heating and air conditioning company. I was with the largest in the southeast, and before that, I was with a national corporation. And I, I started out at the very bottom, all right? And I had to learn how to manage these people, starting out at the bottom and working my way up. All of the people that uh, I ended up managing were the ones who really trained me in how to do my job. And so whenever you're that connected at the ground floor, you start to know everybody's stories. I know about the single dad who's struggling. I know about the, the guy with all the medical bills that he can't afford. I know about the, the single mom who she's not eating so that she can provide for her, her, her daughter, right? I know all of these different stories, and now I'm in a position uh, where I'm managing all of them, and, and I'm in a position where I have to lead this team to success but I come at it initially and I fail miserably because my first reaction as a manager is I have to take care of all these people now. Like every person is, is I, I know their story and I have to take care of their story. And that's how I started by managing. And I did, quite frankly, a terrible job my first month. And, and we were at the bottom of all of the lists, right? In the, in the national corporation, at the bottom of all the lists. That's where we started. And I'll never forget, it was a moment, I was, uh, I was interviewing a guy who I would say, and I know that this is judgmental, I would say he was clearly homeless. If he wasn't homeless, he was really, really bad off at, at bare minimum, all right? And so he's sitting across from me, and I'm, I'm interviewing him, and I, I can see this, and my first reaction is, I've got to get this guy a job. I've got to help him get back on his feet and all of this. And, and I don't want to say that it was God necessarily speaking to me. I don't, want to, I don't want to put a thus saith the Lord on this. But in that moment, as soon as I had that thought, I, I had another thought. And it was the moment I was able to break free from the emotion of what I was doing. And I, I felt like in that moment it was, I need to care about this guy on my personal time. And I need to take care of business while I'm in the business. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not here saying that we need to be Machiavelli, okay? That's not it. I still deeply cared about all of my employees. Uh, my employees would give you uh, all kinds of feedback saying that I, I, I found ways to take care of my people, but there come times whenever you have to separate out the emotion so that you can take care of your team. You have to be able to make the best logical decision to take care of your team. And we ended up putting ourselves at the top in the nation for our team because I was able to care about my people, but separate the emotion when it came time to it, all right? I had a lady one time, all right? Anybody in here in sales? Anybody in sales? All right, we got a few of you in, in sales, right? You're emotional about your sales. You care about your sales, right? All right, so we care about a lot of different things. But I had this lady who... Uh, she, whenever she first started, she was one of the best that we had. I mean, she was incredible. And then all of a sudden, something happened. She went into a slump. Um, her sales just plummeted, and we, we were trying to figure out what was going on. So I start working with her, and I start personally training her. And then she's still not getting it, so I'm like, all right, well, let's get her trained with somebody else. And I'm, Because I know this lady's potential. She's incredible. But she's just, it, she's getting into this slump. And if you've ever sold anything and you get into a slump, it's hard to pull yourself out. Of, I'm seeing heads nodding. Pull yourself out of that death spiral, right? Because you start getting negative and then you start pushing harder, which just causes people to resist you even more. And it, it's just, it's this constant combative nature. And, and 
So this lady's sales starts start to go in the toilet, and I'm training and training and training and trying to help her and trying to help her, and she's just not getting it. And it's everybody else's fault. First, it was my fault, which I thought was funny because I wasn't talking to her customers. <laughs> then it became the customer service department's fault. Then it became all the other managers' faults. Then it became the other store's fault, right? She became emotional. Anybody in here ever been emotional? Come on. You've been emotional. You've been tied into a relationship. Okay, good. Good. I saw, I saw a few people. See, y'all just got emotional about that noise. <laughs> y'all didn't like it very much. No, so, like, we get emotional and we get tied in and we can't think logically, right? It's hard whenever we're emotionally tied into something. This lady got emotionally tied in. And so finally, my, my last attempt was, all right, I'm going to bring her into the call center so she can hear what her customers have to say because her customers don't like her. That's a bad day in sales when your customers don't like you. And so she's listening, and she can hear these customers complaining, but she still thinks it's the customer service department's fault. So she starts correcting all the customer service people, which that didn't make them very happy. So they talk to me, and I'm like, all right, I'm done. We, we, she, she can't think clearly. I'm bringing her in. So I bring her into one of our VP's offices, and, you know, for those of you in sales, you know that we like spreadsheets, okay? That's where I get my love of spreadsheets from, all right? And, and you know everybody's numbers, and you can see all the numbers. Well, so I hand her the spreadsheet with everybody in Atlanta's numbers, and I hand her a highlighter, and, and we have what was called the key performance indicator. We take all of our numbers, and we narrow it down into one number so that we can tell, are we doing well or are we not doing well? Where are you in this list of people? And so I hand her the spreadsheet, and I hand her a highlighter, and I say, okay, here's everybody's numbers in Atlanta, all right, and, and here's your key performance indicator. I want you to take this highlighter and highlight everybody on this list that's worse than you. She starts looking. She's got her highlighter. She's like, oh, I'm going to find these people, and she's looking and looking, and at one point she has this moment of realization that I was trying so hard to be nice about, but I couldn't be nice anymore. And she looks up and she says, well, there's nobody worse than me on this list. I know, because you're the worst in Atlanta. <laughs> That's what I told her. <laughs> See, y'all thought it was funny until I actually said it. But she needed this moment. She was so emotionally connected to her sales or lack of sales that she could not see the fact that it was her own problems that were standing in the way. She couldn't remove herself enough from the situation to see, listen, there's stuff on my end that I need to fix. And she was so busy being emotionally connected that she wanted to point to everybody else and say, y'all are all the problem, not me. And it took me finally having to be very direct with her and pulling her aside and saying, no, look, here are the facts. You can either get better or you can get worse. If you get worse, you won't work here anymore. And that's a hard conversation to have. As far as I know, she still works there, though. She got her stuff together. Sometimes it takes that, that bit of logic to come into a situation where you understand this is not the direction I need to be headed. And our emotions, a lot of times, if we follow our emotions, they take us into bad directions. 
right? How many, how many times have you been in, in a bad situation and you realize, man, this all started. If we, if we boil everything down, this boils down to whenever I get angry or whenever I get tired, right? Tired's not an emotion. Sure it is. Whenever I get sad, whenever I feel like I'm not good enough and I need to prove myself, all of a sudden, we start finding ourselves in bad situations. I don't feel loved enough. I've never felt good enough. Now, all of a sudden, alcohol is looking a whole lot better. All of a sudden, that person that we're not married to but we're living with looks a whole lot better. That extra antidepressant pill looks a whole lot better. Because we're so emotionally connected. And, we, and we've had it happen, right? Has anybody been in a bad relationship that other people have told you, hey, this is a bad relationship? A few hands went up. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're in that relationship right now, and they're sitting next to you, <laughs> put your hand down. We can help you after service, not during. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's be, why, why does that happen? Because we're so emotionally connected. We're in this series called Paradigm, right? We're, we're looking at the idea of miracles, right? The first, first week, right? That, that idea of leaning into a supernatural God, right? Don't chase the miracle. Why are you chasing the miracle? Because you have, you have some, some feeling of deficiency, and you're like, if I can only get that miracle, and you start chasing down some rabbit hole that God never intended for you to go down, right? You need to be leaning into a supernatural God. Why did, why did the, the Hebrews, be, why were they kept out of the promised land the first time? Because they brought back their insecurities, right? They, they were insecure about their relationship with a good, abundant God. Man, today we're going to look at somebody, it's in Judges chapter 14, we're going to look at somebody who, I think, if you, anybody who reads this scripture thinks to themselves, man, this guy's an idiot. But we have to understand, we've made a lot of idiot choices ourselves, and, and whenever we're emotionally tied in, it's hard to escape and hard to think logically, right? So we're going to go to uh, uh, Judges 14 here. Samson's, we're talking about Samson. This guy, you have to understand, he was a Nazarite. He took a Nazarite vow. His parents locked him in, all right? And so a couple of things that are important to what we're going to be reading today. All right, first, um, there are different pieces to the Nazarite vow. The two that are important are the fact that he couldn't touch a dead body, all right, and he couldn't shave his head. Those are the two important pieces here. We're going to go to chapter 14, and, and we're just going to look, man. Samson is a guy who makes a lot of emotional decisions. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah. Everybody already's groaning. One of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Now look, this is the part where if you've been in a bad relationship, you've already heard this conversation before. Then his father and his mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people, our people, that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Right? All of a sudden, his, his father and mother are saying, listen, th this is not a good choice. But we don't listen to our parents, right? 
So they're like, you got to go find somebody who's a good, God-fearing woman, not some pagan woman. She's going to take you down a bad path, but check out Samson's response. But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me. (laughs) He's got some kind of emotion that we can't talk about on Sundays. (laughs) If you're married, turn to your spouse and say, you look good to me. However, listen, all you had to say was one sentence. (laughs) Don't take it any farther than that. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now, at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Here's a translation. God can take your mistakes, your emotional bad decisions, and still use them for his glory. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore him as one tears a young goat through, uh, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on, eating as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Then his father went down to the woman and Samson and made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. Now... Check this out. So, remember, part of his Nazarite vow, he's not allowed to touch dead bodies, okay? And what's important about this? Number one, uh, he felt some kind of emotion when that young lion came at him. I would too. Probably pretty dang scared, and so he reacts, right? Any one of us, I would think, might react. Now, he knows in the back of his head that he's a Nazarite. He's not allowed to touch dead bodies, so he can't kill something, right? He knows this. He should have defended himself, maybe knocked the thing unconscious and ran away, but he was scared and he made a mistake. We all make mistakes, right? That happens. That's not, I don't believe that that's where necessarily Samson went wrong though, okay? Samson went wrong initially by not listening to the logic of his parents and listening to his emotion. Secondly, whenever he goes down to the woman of Timnah and he comes back, What emotion is he feeling? Because it says that he turned aside to go look at that lion. There was something, an emotion inside of him. I don't know. Was it pride? We don't know. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it was ego. Maybe, Maybe it was sadness because he realized he had made a mistake. How many times have I, in my mistakes, turned back to them to see the dead body? to go back and look at the sin that I tried to leave behind. Whenever we choose out of emotion, whatever it is, whether it's pride, whether it's sadness, whether it's disappointment, whatever it is, whenever you turn aside to go look at your sin, it's probably going to lead to another bad decision. And here we see where it led to another bad decision. I think that in the moment, right, where Samson didn't really have a whole lot of time to think and he just killed the lion, it says in that moment that he didn't tell his father and mother what he had done. He was trying to keep that sin, that broken vow, a secret. 
And, and that just harbored whatever emotion was inside of him to where now all of a sudden he finds himself turning aside to go back and look at what he left in the dirt. This is not the main point of the message, but if you've left something in the dirt, leave it there. Don't turn aside to go look at it because it's going to lead to another bad decision. I know. Right? I've, dealt with, I've dealt with addiction in the past. Right? I know that there were times in my life whenever, whenever the thought of, man, I used to whatever. I used to whatever. And you start exploring the used to in your mind and the mistakes in your mind. And one emotion leads to another emotion, which leads to another emotion. And now all of a sudden you're back staring at a dead lion. You can't think logically to stay away. You can't think with a clear head to, to stay away. Let's go on to the next Next verse here. Abby, can you put that up on the screen for me, please? Samson's wife wept before him. Let me back up. So he, he's at this dinner that we left off with. He's at a dinner, and he's deciding to make money, so he, he uh, gives them a riddle, all right? Now he's starting to think smart. He's starting to think like a businessman. He's, he's going to make some money here, all right? But then here's what happens. Samson's wife uh, is then approached by these men and said, listen, if you don't tell us what the answer is, we're going to kill you and we're going to kill your father, right? She's a little bit scared and now she's acting out of emotion. Samson's wife wept before him and said, you only hate me and do not love me. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and have not told it to me. And he said to her, behold, I have not told it to my father or mother, so should I tell you? Here's what's interesting. She doesn't ever tell him what actually happened, right? She keeps her emotions, and her mistake as a secret of following those emotions. Man, what, what would it look like if in this moment, if she had just said, hey, these people are threatening to kill me and my father if you don't tell me the answer? Man, I believe that Samson would have risen up in that moment and just laid waste to the land. But instead, however, she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted, on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him so hard. Then she told the riddle to the sons of her people. Man, she, she betrays him just out of emotion. You know? That stinks. So many times we're led down these bad paths because of emotion. Let's go on. All right, so I'm going to skip chapter 15, and we're going to go to chapter 16 here. Uh, chapter 15, uh, he, he ends up leaving his wife and surprise, after he returns after a few months because he was so angry, uh, she's gone and with another man. So then he ends up laying waste to the land, um, which really he should have done to begin with and just protected his wife. But, you know, we make mistakes. So chapter 16, though. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When it was told to the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, Let us wait until the morning light, then we will kill him. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the city gates uh, and the two posts and pulled them up along with the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite of Hebron. Uh, now let's go to verse 4. After this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, which once again is in 
a Philistine-inhabited territory, right? He's already seen it happen badly once, and he's going back to it again. And her name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him, that we may bind him up to afflict him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. I ain't saying she a gold digger. (laughs) That was funny. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. If your wife says this to you, I'm not saying get a divorce, but you need help. And if you're not married and this person is saying this to you, run. (laughs) Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in wait in an inner room, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of toes snaps when it touches fire. So his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have deceived me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And told me lies. Now, please tell me how you may be bound. He said to her, If they bind me tightly with new rope. As, As if this wasn't bad enough the first time. This happens a couple of times here. All right, so... Behold, you have deceived me, blah, 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 blah. If they bind me tightly with new ropes which have not been used, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, for the men were lying in wait in the inner room. But he snapped the ropes from his arms like thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. All right, so a couple of things. We can learn things on both sides. One. If your spouse is lying to you this many times, probably not good. If your spouse is trying to afflict you this many times, probably not good. Right? We can look at this logically, and all of us are sitting here laughing at this story because we're like, man, this is stupid. But we do this to ourselves every single day. We end up, we end up just buying into the fact that I'm never going to be happy unless I'm looking at porn. I'm never going to be happy unless I'm giving into these pills. I'm never going to be happy unless I'm chewing somebody out. I'm never going to be happy unless I, unless I take more medicine, unless I look at more stuff, unless I get angry with more people, unless I do self-harm of some kind. We do this to ourselves every day. Logic tells us, don't do it. Don't do it. Everybody on the outside is like, please, don't do it. You're you're hurting yourself. You're killing yourself. You're, you're wasting your life. They can all see it. And if we take a step back and look at it logically, we're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? But emotionally, we're like, it's all I can do. And I have such compassion in this moment for Samson because no, no thank God my wife does not want to afflict me. <laughs> Listen, I don't have as much patience as Samson. If you try to afflict me, I'm leaving. (laughs) And my hair is already shaved. Man, we we do this to ourselves though, right? Man, maybe, maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's something really, really simple. 
Can I get really simple? Maybe it's just your incessant addiction to Facebook. You post stuff all the time, not because you think it's interesting, but because you think you need approval. And you're looking for the next thing to post so that hopefully, prayerfully, dear God, please let somebody respond to this and like it. Please let this next thing that I post go viral. Because I've never gotten the approval all throughout my life. And darn it, this is something so small. I need this. Nobody wants to admit to that today. You'd rather, you'd rather admit that you have a problem with alcohol than a problem with Facebook. Because it sounds so simple. And do you have something simple in your life that you are so emotionally connected to that you can't escape it and you think to yourself, what's well, not harming anybody else? Yeah, but listen, dude, sweetheart, it's harming you. Let's keep reading. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pin, and I will become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks, wove them into a web, fastened it. Philistines are upon you, Samson. He woke, pulled it out, killed everybody. How can, I say, how can you say that I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. Y'all aren't supposed to laugh at that part. All y'all men just got in trouble. I just want you to know. Y'all sleeping on the couch. I like the couch. I'm used to it there. So... He told her all that was in his heart. Okay, I will clean the bathroom. And said to her, a razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. That's a lie. Right, he's in this pattern of lying. I think that's really interesting. I'd never paid attention to that before, but he lies. He's already touched the dead body. His Nazarite vow was broken a long time ago. And here's what, I, this is pure absolute 100% speculation. This is not theologically uh, done by some student at whatever, right? I think in this moment, he's not trying to be deceptive to her, but he's believed the lie for so long that he's just, he's used to lying to himself. He really believed it. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. So she said, Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains. He was a grinder in the prison. Let's pause there. He was a grinder in the prison. 
what I think stinks about this is that we find ourselves at some point in his situation. Maybe not right now for you. Maybe you're early on in the emotions and early on in the bad decision, or maybe it's not a bad decision. Maybe it's just not a great decision. But the emotions take you a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, and you start acting off of more emotion. Maybe you start lying to others. You start lying to yourself. I don't know. The emotion, though, takes you down this rabbit hole that you didn't really want to be in in the first place. Now we find Samson in a house that he chose to put himself into with his eyes gouged out, bound and afflicted. Maybe you're not to that point, but if you continue down this emotional rabbit trail, will you find yourself in a house that you put yourself in? Hair shaved, eyes gouged out, bound to be afflicted. Maybe that's where you'll end up. I don't know. I, Lord, I, I pray not. Stop it now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, please stop it now. You need people around you that can help you and speak life and speak logic that you can listen to. Right? But let's just say that you make it all the way to this point. What I love about God, because you know that if we think that Samson's being stupid, how, how does God think that he's being, right? Like, man, God knows everything, and he knows, man, this guy has been making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and man, like, he's still my boy. He's still my boy, and now, dang it, look what's happened to you, buddy. Now you're in a house that you put yourself in, eyes gouged out, bound, head shaven to be afflicted. What I love about our God is this next word. It's the very next word. However, the hair of his head began to grow again. Some of y'all need however in here. <laughs> Some of y'all need however. In a room this size, I guarantee you there are there are addicts in here of all kinds, drugs, alcohol, pornography, all kinds of addicts in this room right now. There's people all over the place that I'm looking at, never felt loved. Now you're seeking it. You're just seeking love constantly. Some of y'all feel like you don't have the approval that you always hoped for, the approval that you wish that your parents would have given you. Some of y'all don't have any parents. I'm so sorry. Y'all need love in such a bad way. We've got a God that he loves you so much. He says, I know that you're in a house that you put yourself in and you have found yourself with your eyes gouged out, bound with your head shaven, However, your hair will grow again. Your strength will return. You will get out of this place in the name of Jesus. You will live to fight another day. You will be stronger. You will be mightier. You will be able to conquer this house that you've put yourself in. It will go away in the name of Jesus. 
And there are so many emotions that we follow. I don't know what that emotion is. And, and I've, never, I've never actually ended a sermon like this. I've never done it. I'm coming to a close right now. Listen, the, normally what we do is we, we give you the problem, we give you the answer, and we're like, okay, go live it. But, but today is not, that's not what we're doing today. Yes, God has a message of hope for you today because he sent his son to die down on the cross for you. And then he sent his Holy Spirit. And there's something that goes to war against these emotions, these fleshly desires that are in our hearts. It's hard, right? And, and, and scripture tells us that it's a war. It's combating against, right? The Holy Spirit combats against our earthly desires, our earthly emotions, the, the, the stuff that blocks us from following after God's will. We have have something that God has given us so that we can follow better after the will of God. If you're willing, just like the man who Jesus said, do you want to be healed? If so, stretch out your hand. All right, if you're willing, I need you to stretch out your hand today. Uh, metaphorically speaking, you can find the answer in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Go home. Go home and look at it. Read it. I guarantee you, you need it in a worse way than what you realize. And some of y'all in here are going to do that today. You're going to go home, you're going to read it, and you're going to be able to instantly apply this to your life and say, oh my gosh, God, thank you for sending this. Thank you for combating. Thank you for going to war inside of me. And I want to know about it. Send me a message. Facebook, email, Brantley at MomentumChurch.tv. I want to know about it. Some of you are not going to do this today. That's okay. I get it. At least write it down. Because there's going to come a point when you find yourself in a house with your eyes gouged out, bound and head shaven, and you're going to need to know what God has provided to help you. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much, Lord, that you have sent your Holy Spirit to help us, God. God, I thank you that you provide however in our lives. God, you look at us with all love and grace and mercy. And you just see, you see the howevers. God. God, I pray that you strengthen us, Lord. God, I pray that you help some of the people stretch out their hand today, God, and find healing in who you are, Lord. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.